This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. We have some pretty big news from your host here, Erica Lance. We are moving to change the format of the show to be one episode. So there's a few episodes that record the old way that we're doing the new way. And that's what you're listening to. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And we love having you as fans. On to the show. Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I am your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the amazing Bo Lake. And our guest today is Carissa Turpin. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. Um, So I am, as many can tell from the decor, I'm actually at my boyfriend's parents' house because we're having some construction done. And so I am drinking strawberry lemonade with vodka because I found that downstairs because I almost (laughs) forgot we had an episode today. So I had to go (laughs) and raid my in-laws, basically, closet. And there's a cup because I'm in Florida that says Let's Beach. So that's what's happening there. Also didn't ask for permission for any of that. So hopefully it's all good. Okay, but what are you doing? I have a chai tea today because uh, I got it for lunch. It's a chai tea with a shot of espresso in it. Oh, you did it dirty. You did it dirty. I did it dirty. dirty As you know, though, I will use espresso more uh, Bailey's to make up my espresso shots. <laughs> Ergo, ergo, alcoholizing it. I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it a word. I alcoholized the entire drink. <laughs> okay, Carissa, what are you drinking? Well, I have a pretty tame one as well. Um, so this is my 90s cup. It's got uh, Animaniacs, Powerpuff Girls, all kinds of stuff. Um, it's the cup that I use when I'm doing Doomsday Danny related stuff. Um, and it is full of 90s appropriate high C. Um, I actually wanted to put surge in here. Um, I looked everywhere for the soda surge from 1999, but I couldn't find it. I know it is That's out there. because but... of the health concerns that came up. From that probably, yeah. Well, it tastes yeah. like battery acid. So, you know, it probably wouldn't be enjoyable, but it would be on brand. So I think it was bleeding <laughs> gums was the issue with that soda because it brought you vitamin C. Yeah. I'm not even a lot of issues. I think it actually, I had a friend that had that happen and because he was drinking it all the time and he's like, my gums are bleeding. And I'm like, doctor and see if you have scurvy because scurvy (laughs) is lack of vitamin C. And I'm not even kidding. He had a lack of vitamin C. You like stop it out of you? Like, I, I don't listen. I find that when we find out what's truly in some of these things, like, Mm -hmm. no, let's just, since we're doing this, we're doing this now. Let's take Starburst, for instance, right? Starburst, oh, no. I, I love Starburst. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Big Starburst fan. <laughs> um, but they're like little waxy squares, right? Mm-hmm. Delicious waxy is, squares. Yeah. yeah, they are delicious waxy squares. But what do we legitimately think is in this? Like truly? Gelatin, maybe? But would it Some stay sort of gum? in the container for a long time and in square shape and not like there are some things and I'm not judging. I don't need candy bar hate mail. Like I get it. <laughs> I'm a big fan of some, you know, I, I actually used to do warheads until I put a hole in the top of my tongue from the mm-hmm. warheads. That's Thanks. the citric acid on the top of the warheads. Yep. You can, you can legitimately put a hole through your skin. Um, but there's just some stuff we maybe don't don't really want to open that box yeah. about what was in it and you know whether or not they use coke to get blood off a road you know because believe it or not police do use coca-cola if they have to get blood off of a road to clean it up because it'll eat it so you know it's weird it, anyway <laughs> digress oh you have a little fur person Yes, oh, I am so done. sorry. They, they have, apologize. They okay. have seen something outside in there. Um, they're all a flutter. <laughs> I've discovered I have two puppies, and one of them is the greatest guard dog about things that don't need to be guarded against. Like if a sprinkler system comes on somewhere, yeah. or DC turns on outside, man, he is he knows and he is barking at it, and like, how dare that lawnmower go off? You know, like if it's a human, he loves them and absolutely no guarding takes place. Right. 
you know, if you are a pool pump and you go off in the yard, you're in for it, man. Yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> That's the situation we got going on, unfortunately. <laughs> That's okay. I feel you on that one. Okay. So let's let's talk about what you write now that we've gone down several paths. Um, what is it that you write? Well, I have just published as of Tuesday my first middle grade novel. Um, I think I've always, you know, written for younger audiences. I am um, one of those people that I love YA literature more than adult literature normally. Um, there's a lot of different schools of thought about that. You know, a lot of people think adults should be embarrassed of their YA love. But uh, me personally, you know, I have uh, a couple of English degrees. And as far as I'm concerned, there's uh, very few f- classics that like hold up to the Hunger Games, you know, because I love the Hunger Games and, you know, I'm just not embarrassed of it. Um, so, I guess as far as what I've written, I am now officially a middle grade author. So that's that's kind of exciting. Woo! Okay, so what is your first official release here? So my first novel is called Doomsday Danny. Um, it is a Y2K set book. Um, I actually was talking to some of my students in 2019 right around the winter break. Um, and they were discussing, and I'm, I'm a middle grade educator, probably didn't mention that. Um, but I had some students in my room who were kind of, you know, excited about the break and they were talking and they were discussing how weird it would be to see the year go from 2019 to 2020 to see those last two digits change. And I said, yeah, y'all weren't around, but there was a time where, you know, all the digits changed and we thought the world was going to end. Um, and they were just like completely, like shocked by that information, you know, no one had ever told them about Y2K and um, the Y2K bug and the predicted problems that that might occur. And, you know, my theory on that is it's because we are sort of embarrassed of, you know, maybe getting prepared for this thing that didn't come to pass. Um, but anyway, a thousand percent accurate, by the yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> And then after you're done explaining this, I think we should all discuss what we were doing at that time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just a very interesting, you know, every time I go places and I talk about this, people come up to me afterward and they tell me their Y2K story, like where they were, what they thought was going to happen. And it's so interesting that we don't really tell younger generations about it. Um, so I started thinking about that and I thought that that's just really compelling. I want to write a book that is set in that time period. Um, so I wrote it down like in the back of my planner and set it aside and I had all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and then it probably wasn't two months later, COVID uh, occurred. And so, you know, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona at the time. That was a hot spot. Um, it was very important that we stay indoors and, you know, not go out. So while I was indoors, I started thinking about sort of the anxiety around this particular time period, COVID, and, you know, how, how nervous and scared I was personally. Um, and so then I just sat down and I wrote Doomsday Danny. So Doomsday Danny is about a middle grade aged girl who becomes fixated on a survivalist blog. Um, She finds a blog called Professor Prepared and it talks about how Y2K is for sure going to happen and the things that she needs to have on hand to survive But we know as readers that this is a very unreliable source. You know, he's always saying, hey, send me money at this address or shop on my online store. Um, That comes from the fact that I was seeing a lot of unreliable information being shared about COVID time. Um, And I really wanted more so than anything to stress to young people what it takes to evaluate a source online for trustworthiness. Um, So Danny becomes very fixated on this blog. She becomes very super prepared for Y2K. She tries to talk to people about it and they, of course, laugh her off. And of course, you and I know as we read the novel that this is not going to happen. And so she's going to have to deal with the fallout and the embarrassment that will occur um, when this terrible disaster that she's told everyone about doesn't, doesn't come to pass. I love that. Okay. Um, well, cause it's funny living in a moment of, and it's true. I think there's a lot of, uh, points in history where really interesting things happen. Like that is not, I mean, it was serious for a lot of people. A lot of people sold their houses, moved to ranches, got bunkers, started bunkering down because people thought it was going to be the end of the world. Right. right. 
Um, and it's very hard to get that across that it was so terrifying at that point in time. And depending on where you were, and the internet existed, but it was not nearly as um, big. Like our smartphones did not have news channels on our smartphones. Like it wasn't a thing. I had a flip phone, I remember. Mm-hmm. So like, it, it. oh, did I even have a flip phone? I, probably not. It was probably like an old ass Nokia. Yeah, I'd say they're no less judgment on my cell phones right now. (laughs) Um, But I'm trying to even think if I had a cell phone or I had a pager. I don't even remember if I had a cell phone back then. But um, if I did, it was like from Sprint and it was one of the original Nokia's and there wasn't a screen you like dialed. It was like a weird, it almost looked like a walkie talkie, right? And It's interesting, though, because I remember exactly what happened. So I'm going to share my story. And if you guys remember what happened for years, you can share it. But I was living in Florida, and there was this whole, we're going to end, basically. So we were like, didn't kind of believe it 100%, but we're like, well, it would be dumb if we weren't even mildly prepared, right, Right. for the situation. So we did get some... um, Bottles of water would never have been enough to resolve the situation, just <laughs> FYI. But, you know, eight, 10 gallons of water, you feel better about yourself. And then um, we did get a few cases of like beefaroni, right? Because, <laughs> um, and stuff. But then we had a Y2K party at my house, but it was friends of ours. And we basically got completely drunk and ended up running down my neighborhood blocks in our underwear. I mean, that's, that's in truth what happened. If you are one of my friends that was there at that time, you know who you are, and I love you, but <laughs> thank God there were not cell phone pictures and videos exactly. running, because we were yelling, I am the squid man. That's a much longer story. Um, but uh, it was interesting, because my friends, two of them, I didn't have a gun in my house at the time, um, brought guns. They brought a couple guns. It wasn't like an arsenal. They weren't semi-automatic weapons. But I, I think one friend brought two handguns and another friend brought a handgun, no, brought a rifle and a shotgun and brought some ammunition. And like, we're, of course, I'm like, hey, put it in the closet. Like, we're, we're not like sitting there armed at the windows, but it was kind of like, okay, let's all wait and see. Because right. we knew at midnight, 1201 was going to be the time where everything broke if it broke. And it was so interesting because our solution, of course, was to get completely loaded. We wouldn't have <laughs> armed ourselves. We were like, and we woke up, you know, just with hangovers the next day. And maybe some embarrassed spouses. Who knows? Like, really, in the great scheme. My husband at the time did not want to partake in our squid man journey. So <laughs> that's the reason we're divorced. Anyway. Just because of that. That was the reason. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Because of squid man. Because it's good, man. That's not the reason, but you know, you got to be on board with Whatever. your spouse's weirdnesses. Um, Bo, what about you? What was happening? Well, I was 12 at the time. So I, being 12, was like, this is fucking stupid. I don't believe this at all. And I just like rolled through it thinking everyone was dumb because, you know, preteen. And even now, I was talking to my husband about this the other day, and I was like, wasn't Y2K weird? Like, it was this big thing, and then it was nothing. And he goes, actually, it wasn't nothing, because he's in computer security. And he was like, it was a big deal, actually. You just didn't realize because you were 12. Well, you were 12, and they did so much on the backside. Besides the paranoia, there was a ton done on the backside, because... It wasn't every computer was screwed, but legitimately they did not forward think on some computer programs right. for a date change. That is that is a true story. So none yeah. of that's hidden. But I mean, it's also, you know, okay, uh, we could go down a whole technical thing. I'm not doing <laughs> the podcast to do that. Carissa, what were you doing during Y2K? 
So I was 15. Um, and similarly, I was not sure, you know, I wasn't completely convinced, um, but I was worried about a couple of things. My dad works in IT. Um, and so I was terrified that maybe like something would happen and he would lose his job. Also lived fairly close to a chemical weapons depot. Um, mm. That was just like something growing up, a weird kind of facet of my childhood. We had to practice these drills of what we would do if like the mustard gas was released and, and that sort of thing. Very strange. Um, and so I was very concerned that something Y2K related would happen there and, you know, we would all be poisoned. So I think my worries were there, but they weren't like they were specific. And, um, you know, I didn't I had a family that was very skeptical. And so there wasn't like any kind of stockpiling of supplies or anything like that. My dad went into work. Um close to midnight to make sure everything rolled over correctly. And um, I just hung out at home. I think I might've even stayed the night with my grandparents. So um, not, not a real exciting story for me, unfortunately, Um, but just definitely a weird, interesting time. It was, but it also makes me, you know, you say that and it it makes me think back because now I am older than you guys because I was squarely in my twenties when that happened. (laughs) Um, 27 to be exact, I think. Um, And I will say, like, I was around in the 80s when the AIDS epidemic happened. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk about that, not to get on a dark subject. I promise I'll touch on this lightly. But it's another big one that I can talk about that nobody talks about what the country did during that time. Yep, absolutely. And it's one that, I mean, they talk about it being released and stuff, but nobody talks about the ridiculous sort of fake news that was around Mm -hmm. during that time the panic the mayhem the like it was it was actually a really terrible and I grew up in Hollywood California so one of the sort of epicenters of this entire situation you know Um, unfortunately we didn't have studio 54 which makes me very sad if there's one place I can go back to I'd love to go to (laughs) studio 54 and it's prime (laughs) wouldn't you love to go to studio 54 oh of course yeah (laughs) but it's interesting because we do approach history now instead of like actual history we approach it very much from what is the version of the story we want to tell Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know oh it was you know this time and they thought there was going to be a computer bug but there wasn't (laughs) okay let's talk about 2001 yeah you know like (laughs) You know, my theory is that because of the events of September 11th that happened, you know, the next year, that um, maybe that's kind of what overshadowed it. But for the most part, I think it's just, you know, embarrassment that that was something that we fixated on um, when obviously there were much bigger issues at play. Um, I don't know. I have a bunch of different uh, reasons why I think it could be not as talked about, but who's to say? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you at all. Okay, what about, um, what made you decide to finally publish? Was this completely a COVID thing or like you, do you think you would have published had COVID not happened? Um, I think I definitely wrote it quicker because COVID was going on. You know, I couldn't, couldn't leave my house. And so that uh, prevented me from really doing anything else, but, but writing this book. I've always wanted to be an author. I've always, you know, I have an, an MFA in creative writing. It's obviously been a career goal of mine. Um, but I've always been a very concise writer. Um, the things that I write are usually not long. It, the idea of getting to like 50,000 words for a manuscript was just kind of crazy to me. I just didn't think that that was really going to be my path. Um, so when I finished Doomsday Danny, which I think was kind of like in the summer of um, 2020, I just kind of showed it to, I have a writing group that I meet with that I'm, you know, pretty close to. And they started to look at it and I started to think, you know, I think this is a fairly unique book and topic um, that, I, I want to publish that I want to get out there. Um, so, you know, I guess to answer your question, I'm not, I, I don't know that I ever saw myself um, writing a middle grade novel during COVID. Um, but, you know, I always did want to publish in some form. I've had some shorter pieces published prior to this. Um, you know, I just did not think that I was the type of writer that would ever write a book. But, but here we are. <laughs> hey, listeners. You know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. 
Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncie, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo! Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about. And I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep. And you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. Let's go back to you took an MFA in creative writing, but didn't think you were going to write a book. I got a little stuck on that. It might be the vodka, but I got a little stuck on that one. So. <laughs> What? Like, I'm just going to go with that is the question. <laughs> what? I, you know, I definitely, when I thought, when I was a kid and I thought about being a writer, of course, I wanted to publish like a million books and, and be a billionaire and live in a mansion. And, um, but when I started to rot and, you know, started to put stories together, I just had a very hard time you know, beating certain word counts, the sort the, the things that I created were short stories. And there were people in my program who that's all they wrote were short stories. And I thought, well, maybe this is me, maybe this is going to be my writing career as I'm going to write and publish short stories and I'm never going to make any money, but you know, oh, well. Um, and, you know, I read a lot of YA, I, I read a lot of books for, for younger kids, but I just felt like I was never going to have that much to say, but I think the anxiety behind COVID, you know, I I was trying to tell a group of students today how interesting, you know, COVID is such a unique time, kind of like Y2K, in that I didn't know what my life was going to be like a week from then. Like it it was just unfolding and and things were just so, so terribly odd. Um, So I think the uniqueness of the time with the anxiety that I felt and the emails I was getting from my students, and it was clear that they felt a great deal of anxiety as well. They had a lot of questions about what was going on. I think those two things combined to like, help me write it, to help me get to a book length work. Um, and, and so now I feel somewhat confident that I can do it again, but, but who's to say, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think I started the MFA program, sure that I was going to be a novelist. Um, but then when I started writing different pieces, I realized that wasn't my strength. However, I have written a novel and I think it's good. So it's not to say that, but um, yeah, I am surprised, I guess, at my own work. So this book is very in the 90s. What did you listen to while you were writing it? Oh, gosh, I had I just played like some Pandora top songs in 1999 kind of thing, just to kind of get inspired. I don't listen to a ton of music while I'm writing, but just to get some ideas going. And um, I did not remember how bad Mambo Number no. 5 was. I <laughs> I remember that that was a popular song, but I heard it and I was like, oh my God, why did we love this so much? Why was this something that we loved and listened to? And, you know, probably about the third or fourth time I heard it, I was like, well, I'm done with that. So it's because there are trumpets in it. That's yeah. why we liked it. <laughs> I was like, I am done with this. So I guess to answer your question, I listened to lots of Mambo number five. <laughs> <As I was laughs> Just <riding>. that song. <laughs> About Mambo number five, before we judge too harshly, um, that guy put so many common names at that time in that song. So everybody's like, yeah, that's me. You know, <laughs> I don't what is your favorite middle grade, like write, like book trope? My favorite middle grade book trope. Um, I think that I like, I, I, my favorite trope in general is, you know, in adult books, it would be like friends to lovers or friends to, yeah. you know, whatever the case may be. So I think when it comes to like younger readers, I love a turn in we we thought this person was the bad guy or we thought this person was the villain. And then it, then it becomes that they were actually maybe not even the hero, but just someone who could assist the protagonist. I think that's always going to be something I like. Um, Doomsday Danny, the, Danny has a bully, um, but as the book co- goes on, we'll, we see not everything's black and white. Like maybe Danny's kind of the bully. Um, so I love that sort of turn in, you know, thinking a person is one thing and then, you know, they they become something else. Mm-hmm. And like breaking the expectation of the bully is going to be the bad person, whereas the other character is bullying them. So they're responding in a certain way. 
Right. Just just good multifaceted, even antagonists are, are great in yeah. great fiction. What did your typical writing day look like? Well, I am I am a teacher. So, you know, during the school day, unfortunately, I'm at school um, when I come home at, you know, 4 p.m. Sometimes I'm so exhausted that the only thing I can do is just like lay down and watch Netflix. Um, but when I am a very productive writer, usually that takes place on evenings, weekends and during the summer holiday. Um, so generally what I'll do is I will set aside some time every day, maybe like an hour, an hour and a half. Um, During COVID in particular, I made myself a very strict schedule because I could tell I was very quickly kind of like losing grip on what was reality and, you know, because I never left the house. Um, So like on certain days I would write and certain days I would edit. And I think I do well when I hold myself to that kind of schedule. During the school year, it's kind of like whatever free time I can find. If I have the energy, I'm going to use that to write. Um, During the summer, I try to be a little more scheduled and strict with it. So it just depends. But, um, you know, unfortunately, teaching has become a very exhausting profession in like in our society um, since COVID. So sometimes what little energy I have, I have to devote to other things. But um, for the most part, whenever I can get it in on the uh, in the evenings or in the week on the weekends, I'm I'm happy with that. Did you outline the book or did you just like go through it? Like, so I, I am like a hundred percent, not the type of person who ever wanted to use, um, you know, a, a plotting book or anything like that. I was like, I can do it. Um, and Doomsday Danny was actually the first time I actually used one of those books, one of those no mm-hmm. novel, um, planning books. So I did use that and I, I planned it out. Um, not a very like strict or detailed outline, just kind of like, this is how it's going to open. This is like, you know, the conflict in the middle and this is how it's going to end. And so that, that kind of guided me a little bit. One thing that I did for this book that I think I've always kind of like blown off in, in previous writing projects that I've done, um, has been the idea of creating like an image board or a mood board. I would Mm -hmm. see that all the time that like you should create mood boards of your characters, like what you think they're like. Um, and I would always just kind of say, you know, I don't need to do that. But what I was finding was that my characters didn't feel as great and multifaceted as some of the books that I was reading. Um, so when I sat down and I kind of like printed off some pictures that I don't know if you all had the Delia's catalog back in 1999, (laughs) but, but I did. And so I just printed off some pictures of like the fashion and, and what people look like and how they wore their hair. And it was just, it made it a lot easier for me to create these really rich characters. Um, so, so I am a hundred percent a planner now. Um, it, it worked for me and I think I'll do that from this point forward. That's very cool. I've never actually heard of a mood board. Yeah. Like you do the Pinterest boards, like, mm-hmm. like to make little boards with your characters and uh, right. models who look like your characters, you know? You know me. I'm like, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, you're lucky if I type the words correctly. Like, <laughs> But I think finding author tools kind of a, a good idea, you know what I mean? And a, an amazing way to do it. So now that you tackled this first book, like, what are you writing right now? So I started, um, I actually got an idea during COVID. I um, watched a lot of Survivor, um, which, you know, a preview, before COVID, I would have been like, absolutely not. What a terrible show. Um, but I, I did start watching it. And it struck me that like the villain of reality television those people have families at home um and so i started thinking what would it be like if a um a kid a teenager had a parent on reality television and they had to watch that parent like sort of become the villain and the whole country hates this particular person but the person you know is nothing like that um and so i am currently working on a story where um the protagonist a young boy his father goes on reality television um but you know it's definitely moving much slower than doomsday danny so that's kind of what i'm i'm working on currently and i hope to keep chipping away at it this summer no, I think that sounds like it's actually funny you say that because I just watched a true crime show. Watch how I take this dark again. I know you're gonna be <laughs> um, it was about um, a kid who 
I think it was 2007, went and um, shot up, killed eight people in Omaha, Nebraska. And it was the parents who had never kind of talked about it, his uh, father and his stepmother and sort of their journey with him and the amount of guilt they feel for, you know, his family, like their responsibility in doing that. It's just, it's very interesting. And I love that you're taking this from a side that normally you normally we'd get the book of the doomsday prepper. We wouldn't get the book of the family that has to survive that or survive, you know, some ridiculousness and things like that, that have come up that you, you are almost embarrassed for anybody who knows that person. Right. You know, that's interesting. Okay, Bo, sorry. I just injected that. Go ahead. <laughs> I had a good question and I forgot it. Where where do you do your best writing? Um, I think I write best in my bed, <laughs> which is not, <laughs> not a super classy answer. Um, I do have a desk that I probably should work from. Um, but I think sometimes when um I'm like super focused and I'm in my pajamas and you know I haven't haven't washed my hair in a couple days um and and I write from bed usually that's when I do the most work because I'm comfortable and um you know pretty pretty serene bedroom area so um yeah I'd I'd say I do my best work there that's is it on a laptop or are you like texting it on your phone (laughs) no it's on a laptop I wish (laughs) I wish I like had like a very like Classy journal or something that I wrote in, but yeah, it's just I got my laptop on my lap. <laughs> That's pretty much it. Very cool. Okay, so um, what now? What are your goals now? That you've actually written the book, so now you've gone past that hurdle. What are your now? Um, I definitely. I, I just emailed my publisher not not long ago and I said, you know, I just got to figure out what's next. So, you know, prior to the publication of Doomsday Danny, I was doing a ton of, not a ton, but quite a bit of book promotion. Um, one thing that I did recently was I played those top 1999 songs for my students and I had them write down on a post-it note, like what they thought of the song. And it was just hilarious. They thought like Cher was Elton John. I don't know um, <laughs> why they, why they thought that, but you know, just like, little activities like that. It's a fun book to promote because it's set in 1999 and there's a lot of nostalgia, the Tamagotchis and the Furbies and the, you know, the various things. Um, So now I kind of have to decide what what promotion looks like with a book that is already here. Um, I have to decide kind of like what the future of that book is going to be. Um, and then I guess my big goal is just to follow it up with another, hopefully um, at some point. But I think I want to continue to write in the middle grade genre. Um, as an educator, one of my big things has been for years, we can read books that are not by dead white men. That's like my number one um, prerogative as an educator. You know, there are great classic books that that teachers love to teach and there's nothing wrong with them. I'm, I'm certainly not saying that, but we live in a time of very rich and diverse young adult and middle grade books. Um, and so I want to continue to write for young people, I think, because I know I've seen firsthand what a great book can do to a kid's attitude about reading a book with a character that looks like them and that they can relate to. Um, so, so yeah, I think I want to continue to write and I want to continue to write for YA audiences or middle grade audiences. That's very exciting. Have you practiced your autograph yet? <laughs> I have had two book signings. I had one um, at at the school that I currently work at, and then I had one at the local library. So yeah, it looks terrible. Um, <laughs> I I uh, prior to the book coming out, my publisher sent me a bunch of like book plates, I guess they're called, mm-hmm. to autograph and you know send back to her. And there were a few times where I forgot how to spell my own name, um, and I wasn't drinking, so I don't know really what that was about. I think that was an anxiety thing. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I guess I've gotten okay at it. Yeah. So hopefully I'll practice much more. You have sayings in the books. This is our new favorite line of questioning. Sayings. Do I have, do I have sayings in the books? You usually should have about three sayings that you put in the book. Like, in, Bo, what's your example of one? 
I don't actually do one because I'm lazy, but a lot of people will be like, happy reading or um, something silly like that, like above their autograph. Yeah, oh. no, I always write, um, I always write uh, like, uh, uh, you know, hope you have games because I write horror stuff. Like oh. I'm sure you'll have nightmares, you know, that sort of thing. And another thing you should do is um, date and put the place that you signed the do- the book. Ooh, that's good advice. How you become very famous, then people who got these books, fame moment, like that's a big deal, but you can't prove when you got it if it's just a signature. Right. That's that's really cool. I didn't think about that. I haven't been putting anything cool, any sayings. I've been saying, oh, what's your first name? And then like trying my best to spell it and get it correct and then writing and then doing my signature. So um, that's something new that I'll have to start doing. There are, of course, a few that I've signed for like my grandparents that I've uh, gotten a little personal. But for the most part, I've just addressed it to the person and signed it. So um, I think I need to uh, step up my autograph game now that I've I've talked to you all. I I think we're launching autograph game, new heights. (laughs) That's very cool. So you went through a publisher. How was that journey for you? Because it sounds like you found them pretty quickly. I, you know, I I got the book and I thought, I think I want to publish this. Um, I started to send it out to publishers. My wish list was to publish with a small press um, so that I could be in charge of like the marketing and get say so on the cover and all that stuff. Um, And I also wanted to publish with a women led um, publishing house if I could find it. Um, So I sent it out, you know, definitely got a couple of rejections. Um, I got, interestingly enough, a publisher who said that they would publish it if I moved the setting from 1999 to present day and and use and made the like plot point COVID and not Y2K. And so, you know, because I did want to be published so badly, I had to consider, you know, is that something that I'm willing to do? And ultimately I decided, no, it's, it's not. Um, so I was lucky enough to find this particular publisher that I'm with, which is Orange Blossom Books out of Florida. Um, and it is a woman-led, um, woman-run uh, publishing house and um, I've had lots to say so and how my book has been marketed and what it looks like and um, so it's been a great experience so far but I do feel very fortunate in that you know I was able to publish fairly quickly um, and and you know just have a great experience really nothing too too traumatic has happened as of yet so um, yeah it was really important to me to have those things and um, I yeah I just feel very lucky. No, I think that's fantastic. And to the publisher who wanted you to change the setting, they can go fuck themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's terrible. I'm I'm on it. You know me, Bo. Like, don't yeah. the author change their setting. They it, it was so interesting. Um, I, I just kind of said, you know, no, I'm I'm not I spent a lot of time researching. I, I'm not gonna do that. Um, and they said, well, you know, it would be nice if you like maybe incorporated TikTok. And I was like, no. Um, so I, you know, I, They're I like completely I change everything. Yeah. And then like- <laughs> I had a friend that said, maybe you should call it COVID Connie instead of doomsday. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, I, I felt good walking away from that. Uh, you know, there, there were a lot of great things. It seemed like about the company, but um, I had really committed to this Y2K thing. And, and I, I think I stuck to my guns and I'm glad I did. No, we're glad you did too. I, I'll tell you as, as um, a publisher, but also as an author, don't let people change your stories. Like, you know, if they want to give something and you go, oh yeah, that would be something that enhances your story and you get excited about it. Fine. Right. But if they go, like anytime I hear they want to switch locations, they want to switch cities. Don't write this in Chicago, write it in New York. Like, no, they wrote the damn book. There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with the book. Either you want the book. If you want somebody to write a COVID story, then go hire somebody. There's a ton of writers that you could reach out to go, Hey, write me a middle grade COVID story. And they do that. Mm -hmm. Like, ah, ah, you're very passionate (laughs) about these things. Okay, Bo, ask a question, then I will ask the point. If they were going to make a movie out of your book, who would play the main character? Oh, that's a great question. I think I think my holdup with that question is that I don't know in many 12-year-old actresses. Yeah. Um, I, so, so it's very hard for me. If I could just pick 
um, a child from any from any decade and have them be 12 years old. Um, I think I would pick who is the girl that that is now um, she did a lot of stuff. I think her name is Elle or she's in great. She's in that show. Great. Oh, Elle Fanning. Elle Fanning. Yeah. So Doomsday Danny has like white blonde hair and, um, you know, some some similar like features to her. So Mm -hmm. probably I would pick her. But really, I think the great thing about Danny is appearance wise, there's really nothing remarkable about her. She could be, you know, any actress could play her. It would just have to be someone that had the depth to really show the anxiety and the the stress we felt during that time. But, um, you know, I wish I could honestly the her parents her mother and father um for her dad I had printed a picture of Freddie Prince Jr now whether or not it was because I thought that's what her dad looked like or I just like to look at that photo of Freddie <laughs> Prince Jr it's I don't very know. very 90s choice too right right so that was kind of who I had in mind for that but you know I'm not super familiar with with child actors but but she's somebody that if she were 12 years old she would be perfect for that role I like it okay I want to hear as the final question, what is the best um, reaction you um, a middle grade your target audience for your book? What what is the best? You cut out a little. What is the best reaction? The best reaction that you've gotten. Um, I had one of the most special things was that I got to have a book launch event on the day the book was published at my school with my students. And so getting to sign the books for them, getting to talk to them, um, you know, I had a student who was working with another teacher a few days later and they were creating an outline and she asked the student, you know, what, what is your favorite book? And the student said, Doomsday Danny. And I thought, well, they're just saying that because I'm their teacher, you know? Um, But as she continued to work with her on the outline, the student kept giving her like more and more details from the book. And, and that's when I realized that they had very deeply read it and it had resonated with them. Um, I visited a middle school just today. Um, I'm from a small town in Eastern Kentucky. We have, uh, we actually have a Backstreet Boy. So uh, he he's like one of the only <laughs> people of prominence from my area. Um, but, you know, other than that, Appalachian people, people from Eastern Kentucky, they don't often see, you know, like, people be super successful. There's a stereotype sort of like the hillbilly, somebody with like two teeth in their whole mouth. Um, and so getting to to see someone from their hometown uh, you know, be successful is, is really important to them. So I had a student actually come to me today to talk about how she's, she's wants to be a rider and she's rotting, but sometimes she gets frustrated and she gets rider's block. So, you know, if I continue to have interactions with, with students, with young people, um, who say things like that I'm their favorite writer, or even that, you know, they don't even have to say that it's their favorite book, but just if that it kept them engaged, that they completed an entire book. Um, that's really all I can ask for. And and so far, so good. The the students or the kids that I have that have read it have really enjoyed it. So um, yeah, pretty, pretty pleased so far. Hello, Drinking with Authors fans. This is your host, Erica Lance. Because of the change of the format of the show, Welcome to the literary briefs portion. Enjoy. Okay, Grissa, rapid fire questions. You ready? All right. What is your favorite book of all time? My favorite book of all time is probably The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. (laughs) Why? It's my favorite book, too. Why? Why? Why I was gone? Is that what? Oh, no, no. We actually didn't. We we continued our Hunger Games conversation. Um, I guess as far as why it is my favorite book of all time, I like that the person telling, first of all, just one very small detail. I like that the person who is telling the story is not who the book is about. Um, I've always been kind of fascinated by that aspect of it. I also think, you know, when you see, I, I come from a very poor area of the country and you see lots of um, people who just want so badly to be like these self-made success stories. Um, you know, so I, I know a lot of Gatsby's. Um, and, and so I think that's what can Next me to it as well. Very cool. Okay, what about your least favorite book? <laughs> um, I would say I've never 
I, I'm not big on self-help. Um, I'm not big on books that I think a lot of people get a lot of good out of. Um, and I definitely don't disparage the fact that they get, you know, a lot of value out of those books. Um, but I've never been a big like Brene Brown, girl, wash your face or whatever all those <laughs> books are. Um, it's just not you know, I don't really get a lot of value out of those. I, I'm not sure that those are my least favorite. I think, you know, the the knee jerk answer that I have is to say like 50 Shades of Grey, <laughs> which I. Oh, I um, that one because that is yeah. a terrible piece of garbage. Yeah, yeah. I think I perused that like when it first came out just to kind of see what all the fuss is about. Um, and of course, hated it, thought it was terrible. Um, but, you know, also good for the author. She's she's definitely doing better financially than I am working as a teacher. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, what do I know? <laughs> and that just speaks volumes about our society, doesn't yep, it? Yep, it does. Yeah. It does. Okay. Um, what about your favorite book to a movie or TV show? I think you already discussed it, but let's see. Um, you know, other, obviously huge Hunger Games fan, love the Hunger Games, um, could talk all day about the Hunger Games. Um, I really also loved The Hate You Give, um, both both the book and the movie, I thought, was was really well done. So that would probably be my second um, book movie pairing. Okay, what about the one you think they did a terrible job with? Oh, definitely um, Percy Jackson. <laughs> um, if you've ever seen the uh, the adaptation of the Percy Jackson movies, they're they're really really bad. Um, I also think like the Shadow Hunter movies. I remember um, my sister and I going to see those, and we did not think those were very faithful um, adaptations of the book. So probably those those two right off the bat. Yeah, I didn't read Percy Jackson, so I thought the movie was cute. I did read Shadowhunters, and that movie was freaking terrible. Oh, yeah. I remember, like, they were trying to, like, have chemistry or make out or kiss or whatever, and we just laughed the whole time, which I feel like is not a good sign. <laughs> so no, I just also think they picked the wrong parts of that book to tell the story about. Like, I was yeah. like, you read this and somehow picked everything that you shouldn't have been talking about. <laughs> Right, so right. I don't know how you did that, but well done for completely <laughs> fucking that up. So yeah, exactly. Okay, Bo, what are your questions? What is your desert island book? The book you can read <laughs> over and over forever with no other book. I I hate to say the Hunger Games because I feel like <laughs> I've, I've brought it up so many times. You know, I do try to do a Hunger Games reread at least once a year. Um, that's how much I love it. So. Um, certainly that would be at the top of my list. I also, you know, my, one of my favorite books is Rainbow Rowell's Eleanor and Park. Um, I, I just really love that book. So that would probably be another one that I, I would certainly love to, to have with me to read and reread. I think there are tons of books that I love, but it just has to be a certain type of book for me to want to pick it up again. And I think right. those two are, are two that I feel that way about. What is your, um, uh, if you could be any, mythological or fantastical creature what would you be um I think I the the number one answer that popped into my head is unicorn um I've always and I know that's such a stereotypical girl answer um it's I've actually always thought, not for this show you're good oh okay <laughs> don't be unicorn a lot um so you know I was very as a kid very into unicorns and it wanted like ceramic unicorns to put in my room and so I think there's something about them that is just very like colorful and and peaceful kind of um so that that would probably be the mythological mythical animal I would pick very cool um what about a favorite weird food combination um I think my weird food combo, I, I don't know that I have any that are super weird. Um, we have uh, here in this area, a certain like pop or a soda, different people say pops or soda. I'm not sure which one is appropriate in this situation, um, but it's called Elate and it's kind of like a ginger ale tasting drink um and people pair it with like these super hot chips called grippos um and so sometimes when you know when i lived in arizona if i felt a little homesick i would think about um this combination of this like ginger ale soda and these super hot chips and um there's just something about it that's like very home related to me um so that would probably be my my weird food combo 
I, I like it. I, I've never heard of it. But I know the soda and the pop because I moved from California where they just say Coke. And then they ask yeah. you what you want. And then I went up to um, uh, Wisconsin and they were like, um, what would you like to drink? And I'm like, a Coke. And I waited to go. <laughs> and they were like, all right. And, they walked <laughs> and then they got your Coke. And I'm like, wait, wait, what kind of, what kind of soda do you have? And they're like, well, we have this pop and this pop. And I'm like, that was a pop. What is a pop? Like, it's so weird. You know, that's what it's always, I, I've always called it. And it's very strange, you know, how different areas of the country have their own soda terminology, I guess. Very true. Um, if you could eat lunch with any author living or dead, who would you want to eat lunch with? Probably Rainbow Rowell. I have been a big um, Rainbow Rowell fan since I read her first book. And I think, you know, the thing that I love most about her books are the characters. And Rainbow Rowell books are the only books that I feel like I can finish and like almost miss those characters or like have a little bit of a book hangover in that I wish I got to hang out with those characters again. And I think that's something very difficult for a writer to do when she does it so well. Um, and it's something too, you know, characterization, I think is one of my biggest struggles as a writer. So I think Rainbow Rowell, just because she creates these wonderful, um, rich characters, and I would love to chat with her about how she does that. Very cool. Um, so what was it like uh, when you first uh, interacted with an editor? <laughs> um, I, I think that it was right there, uh, that laugh that just, <laughs> that, one, that just happened. That's what we want to hear about. <laughs> I think it was positive. Um, you know, I the the one like disagreement that comes to mind is um, throughout my book, I have like excerpts from um, this like terribly um, untrustworthy blogger professor prepared and so um, my first editor that looked at the the book she really thought that I should exclude some of those because she just felt like the kids wouldn't understand the Y2K information um, and when you read Doomsday Danny it actually opens with a definition from the Cambridge uh, English Dictionary that defines Y2K and what it was. And that was inserted because of that conversation, that back and forth, because they truly, truly believed that um, young children would not be able, I, I don't want to go so far as to say they felt like young children could not comprehend Y2K, um, but they felt like it would just be this really hard alien concept for, for kids to kind of wrap their heads around. And, you know, I kind of disagreed, especially given the things that kids have gone through related to COVID. Um, and so the book does start with that. So that's probably one area where we differed. But for the most part, I have had, as as someone who's gone to, um, gone through the MFA pro process and, you know, had my work tore to shreds by my classmates. And um, I, I've got pretty thick skin when it comes to some degree of editing. But that was one um, particular point that I really disagreed with them on was this sort of spoon feeding of what Y2K was to children. I really felt like, you know, with a few, um, with a few artifacts throughout the book, they would they would get the the concept, the idea. So that that's really the only um, conflict I can think of that I had. No, that makes sense. I mean, here's the thing. I think the first time you're you're super edited by. I mean, if you went through an MFA, you got edited, so you're used yeah. to having stuff ripped apart. And it's very interesting because I think editors can definitely have a view. But again, like the previous episode, you did a very good point, which is cool. I like what you're saying. However. I do not agree with you. Right. Now, as an author, you should listen and listen from where they're coming from. Make sure you take off all your defense shields, like lower defense shields down to one, mm -hmm. and then listen to what they're saying. And if it still doesn't make sense, then don't do it, right? Mm -hmm. But right. you also can't go into it with defense shields of 10 and throw a big pissy fit and like, you know, mm -hmm. that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Because they're trying to help you. It's just, unfortunately, right. they could have a view that doesn't agree with your view. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yeah, I think, you know, I always tell like people in writing groups that I'm working with that, you know, you ultimately decide what feedback you take and, and utilize and what you don't. So, uh, yeah, I think that's really important to remember. When did you find your tribe exactly, your writing group? 
Um, one writing group that I have, I was really fortunate. They were, um, one was a coworker of mine at the time. And then, um, he was also doing the MFA program. So he said, you know, we had graduated and he was like, I'm writing things, but I don't know what to, I don't have any, you know, group that meets once a week, like we used to, to, to talk about these things and discuss our writing. And so we decided to get, you know, two more of our MFA alums together um and so we started a writing group that meets on discord at least once a month sometimes a little more regularly depending on what's going on um i'm also really fortunate in that i had a group of co-workers at the school i'm currently at um when it was announced that i was going to publish a book they too wanted to start a writing group so i have a writing group that meets there about once a month um so it's been really interesting and definitely um you know, prior to these two groups, um, when I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, I would get on meetup and find, you know, writing groups that were meeting and I would go to some of the meetings, which I think is always a super scary experience. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I, I would say that I'm someone who really craves having people look at my work and really getting that feedback. And, you know, I do better as far as like writing regularly when I have a writing group that I know is, is going to be waiting for my work. And so, um, yeah, I just think it's really important for any writer, no matter what stage they're at, to have people they trust that will put eyes on their, their writing. Oh, I agree 10,000%. And it's the people you can trust, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, okay, Bo, questions? <laughs> what is your least favorite genre? My least favorite genre? Um, I would say I, I, I have a I'm not much of a romance reader, um, but I don't, I, I am not opposed to writing romance. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas I love fantasy. I love reading fantasy. I think fantasy novels are fantastic. And I think um, fantasy authors are so talented, but I would never in my wildest dreams write a fantasy book. <laughs> so when it comes to books, books that I read, um, romance, I'm not, you know, there are a couple, obviously, YA romances. I um, have read a few of those and really liked them. Um, as far as being a reader, romance, as far as being a writer, fantasy, just because I think, you know, I look at people who write fantasy and I'm like, oh my God, who's related to who and what kingdom are we in? And, you know, I could never, if, if I open a book and it starts with like a family tree or a map, then I know like it's intense. So I think that is a genre I could never see myself writing, but I have all the respect in the world for people who do that. How do you deal with writer's block? Um, I deal with writer's block usually by like separate, I, I just have to separate myself from um, the work itself. I, when I was writing Doomsday Danny, I would get so in the weeds about being historically accurate. So, you know, I would have my protagonist in the classroom and I would be like, you know, did they have, what did VCRs look like in 1999? What did the television cart look like in 1999? So I would get so like, frustrated with getting all these tiny details correct um, that sometimes I just couldn't move past them. So when that happens to me, I try to like literally take a break, separate myself, you know, not look at it for a week um, when that's really not possible. If if I'm working on a deadline or a, a, like a self-imposed deadline, um, I just tend to maybe skip ahead and write the parts that I already know how they're going to go. And I'm excited about writing them. And then I come back and fill those in later. So those are really the only two things I've found that that really work for me. Uh, research Superhighway. What did what kind of video would have it? When exactly was this movie released in 1999? <laughs> yes. That, that was what I was dealing with. And then, um, you know, I was always trying to get the dates correct. So if it if the calendar said that, you know, December 27th was on a Tuesday, then I had to make sure it was a Tuesday in the book. Um, so so that kind of stuff, you know, I got really in the weeds about Doomsday Danny lives in Phoenix, which doesn't observe daylight savings time. So then I knew that she would celebrate the new year later than the rest of the country. And then I was like, how am I going to handle this? Um, so little things like that frustrate me. And then it's just like, I can't move past it. So um, mm -hmm. usually when that happens, I need to take a break and step away from, from the piece. No, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting how much knowledge you build on that iceberg 
that you yeah. don't necessarily use, but you're like, I know all of the things. <laughs> I can tell you what happened November 22nd, 1999, everywhere. <laughs> I know what happened everywhere. Um, so what, did you um, get initial reviews before the book release? Did you have ARC readers that did reviews for you? I did have, I guess, what would be a, a promo team, um, a couple of people who got early PDF copies of the book and then, you know, were able to to get a physical copy later on. Um, yeah. And their reviews were that they they really liked it. They thought I, I think the thing that they uh, like about it is it's about this period in time that's really not discussed very often. So um, right now, I think it's kind of a unique take. Um, I actually started up a conversation with a middle grade author on Instagram, and she said she has a Y2K book in the works. So I think it's just for the for right now, um, kind of a new perspective. But I think Y2K has become very trendy, um, you know, as far as like clothing is concerned and that sort of thing. I think kids are like, oh, this shirt is very Y2K, but they have no idea what that means, what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I um, I look for there to be more Y2K books in the future. Um, if there aren't already, there could be more that I'm just unaware of. Um, but, you know, initial reviews were that they liked it. They liked the... Um, they like the subject matter. It is a very short book, so it tends to hold attention really well. And and yeah, I've I've gotten a lot of positive feedback so far, which I'm really thankful for. Very cool. Bo. What is your Starbucks order? <laughs> so my Starbucks order is a um white mocha. Um I always say warm for some reason when I go through. <laughs> I, I don't think they even make mochas uh, cold, but, you know, I'm always afraid. Um, I get a white mocha and then I love their pumpkin loaf. So mm. usually I will get some of that if I um, am on my planning and have to eat lunch really quick before I go um, watch middle schoolers on the playground or grade papers or whatever the case may be. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah, um, actually, you can get them iced. I know this. <laughs> oh, okay. You can. You can, yeah. Gets the ice white mochas, oh, so God. be smart and say hot. And okay, otherwise you can end up with an iced one. The iced one is good, but if that's not what you're looking for, right? No, usually like I, I need I need something warm. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, do you finish books all the time, or will you stop and throw it away? Um, have I had like a, a, have I ever like not finished a, a book that I'm currently reading? Um, it has to be really, really bad. I, um, you know, technically, like typically if I read a book, um, in, in education, they're called like craft books that are just about like teaching and how to organize your desks. Um, usually I'll just go through with those and just like get the information I want from those books and then I'll dispose of them sometimes or give them to somebody else. Um, but for the most part, when it's fiction, I do try to finish it unless it like presents ideas that I like disagree with on a, on a, you know, basic level, um, then of course I won't read it. But um, for the most part, I do try to finish one. I'm trying to think of a fiction book that I did not finish and nothing really comes to mind. Um, you know, I, I do try to stick it out usually. Uh, yeah, I think you should stop doing that. Okay. <laughs> That's there's, only, there's only so much time in your day. You might as That's well not true. spend it suffering, you know? Right, right. Yeah. You, you've given You're the right. money. You've done what you can for the author. You're not going to write a review. So why why give <laughs> any more of your time and yeah, effort? Yeah, I mean, you're you know? exactly right. And I'm sure there's a book out there that I was just like, I can't do this anymore. But, um, you know, maybe it was Fifty Shades of Grey. I, I don't know. I care. <laughs> oh, I didn't get more than two pages into that book. I no, didn't even no. buy it. I was like, I picked it up because everybody was talking about it. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> I read the entire thing, but only because it was like a car crash that was happening in slow motion. Yep. And I was interested to see how the cars came together. So I was like, oh. I'll read the entire thing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, there was a, this thing online called Honest Movie Trailers. Have you ever watched yes. it? Yes. <laughs> I love Honest Movie Trailers. One of my favorite things in the world. And he did an Honest Movie Trailer, Fifty Shades of Grey. But during that movie trailer, he's like, and here are some phrases not used in the movie but we're in the book 
Well, and, and I think the number one one that stuck out in my head was she turned the she turned red, the color of the crimson men um, manifesto. <laughs> oh, that woman's rich. You know, that's she's so rich. She has yeah. so much money. Yeah, she really is. Uh, she can buy and sell us. Like, yeah. God. <laughs> So interesting. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, anyway. I remember that line. It's like as red as the um, Communist Manifesto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is so funny. <laughs> you just got to go, okay, somebody left that through editing. Yep. I, I if, I, if I was editing that book, that would have not gotten through. I'd have been like, this is Yeah, no, I just, I think it's a combination of her terrible writing and whoever edited that book, I want to just slap the shit out of. And yep. I go, you guys publish this. This was somehow okay. okay. They were being really, really nice to her, apparently. They must yeah. have been because I. Mm, no. Well, she did have 10,000 pre orders, so I could understand being nice Ooh. to her. Oh, my goodness. Well, she was a marketing person and she did. Um, Twilight fan fiction and had all yeah. these books, so she had ten thousand pre-orders. That's when anybody was got interested in her. So yeah. welcome to how that works. Okay, Bo, you get the final question. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a quote from a book or poem that sticks with you, like one you just think about all the time? And uh, you all are going to be so annoyed with me, but um, <laughs> in, in the Hunger Games, <laughs> specifically in Catching Fire, um, there is a quote Katniss says, um, she talks about all the things she's been through and she says, the sun insists on rising, so I make myself stand. Um, and so I think I've thought about that quote a lot. I had a, um, like a, I went to all the, I'm sure you're not surprised, but I went to all the like movie premieres at midnight. And, and so I got like this cloth poster that had that quote on it. And I think in my life, you know, I have gone through a divorce and, you know, losses of various kinds. Um, but I still always had this obligation, you know, as a teacher to my students and, and, you know, just as a human being to, to get up and put in the work to, um, continue to live. And so that is a quote that I think about a lot. Um, and I think about, you know, Hey, the world, the world is still spinning. So as long as it's still spinning, I've got to work through whatever it is I'm going through and get up and do my thing. So that's, that's one that I always uh, kind of cling to a little bit when I think about literary quotes. That's a good literary quote. Yeah, I love it. So shameless self-promotion time. Where do people find you in your book? You can find me. Carissa Turpin books.com is my website. I am also on Instagram at Carissa Turpin Books. Um, and I have a Facebook page, Carissa Turpin Author. And I would love to love it if you would follow me there. Maybe there will be more books to follow this one. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed for you, my friend. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Thank you all this for having my, me. This time my internet worked the whole entire time. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> I'm like such a rebel right now. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking With Authors, the Literary Briefs Edition. I have been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the amazing Bo Lake. Our guest has been Chris Turbin. Don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you, and we will see you next time. <laughs>